May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be free from harm. May all beings love life. May all beings awaken. Welcome to another Kuk Audio podcast. I'm D.C. Puba of Kuk Audio and Kuk Archives. I pray that you and yours are safe and comfortable, free from economic hardship, and able to get out and do whatever it is you want within the limitations of the universal precept of do as little harm as possible. Uh, so today we have a guest, Susan Moon. I'll tell, let me tell you a little bit about Susan Moon before we give her a call. I'm reading this from uh, her uh, website. It's a WordPress site, and it's way out of date because it says her most recent book is like three books ago. <laughs> so um, it says, uh, uh, Sue has been a Zen student since 1976, practicing in the lineage of Suzuki Roshi at Berkeley Zen Center, Tassajara Zen Mountain Monastery, Green Gulch Farm, and now with Zogetsu Norman Fisher's Everyday Zen Sangha. She received entrustment as a lay teacher in 2005. She is a serious student of photography and the mother of two grown sons and the grandmother of three granddaughters. She lives in Berkeley, California. Now, since this is a few years ago, she might have more grandchildren. Uh, <laughs> and then it sits down here below it. I put, see, I'm reading this off uh, a, a page for her on cuke.com. Below that, it says, I love Sue Moon. Don't tell her. I think everyone does DC. <laughs> she has a number of books out now. She has a new book that she's going to talk about, and we're going to talk about because the subject matter is easy to talk about. It's called Alive Until You're Dead. And I love the subtitle Notes on the Home Stretch. Uh, and uh, it says, uh, Released by Shambhala, April 2022. Hey, that's now. Um, all right. Now, uh, I'm going to read you here books by Susan Moon in, in chronological order. Uh, the Life and Letters of Tofu Roshi. And they're, uh, incident, they're all Shambhala. Uh uh, that was a long time ago. Uh, Being Bodies, Women, and the Paradox of Embodiment with Lenore Friedman. Not Turning Away, an Anthology of Writings from Turning Wheel, Journal of Engaged Buddhism, uh, which she was very involved with for years. And here's another one. This is getting old. <laughs> <laughs> Zen thoughts on aging with humor and dignity. The Hidden Lamp, stories from 25 centuries of awakened women with Florence Kaplan. Uh, that's uh, wisdom books. Uh, then what is Zen? 
Plain Talk for a Beginner's Mind with Norman Fisher. And now we have Alive Until You're Dead. <laughs> um, and then I've got a link to a Dharma talk by her. Uh, if you search for Susan Moon online, uh, you'll see uh, you can uh, hear many talks and interviews and things by her. Um, okay, so right after our pause to meditate, we'll give Sue Moon a call. So when you hear the bell, hit pause if you're of such a mind and meditate or whatever for as long as you wish. And when you're through with the meditation or whatever, hit unpause. And we'll be there to hit the bell to end the meditation or whatever. And uh, we'll uh, give Sue Moon a call. Hi. Oh, hi there. Hi, David. Susan, how are you doing? <laughs> well, I'm doing fine. Yeah, I'm doing surprisingly well, considering what an old fogey I am. Um, well, how old, and, and, how old and fogey are you? Well, I'm my next birthday, I'm going to turn 80. Oh, wow. Cool. Isn't that impressive? Yeah, indeed. How old are you? How old are you, David? I'm 77. Oh, well, you're not too far behind. No, I'm no, I'm catching up. up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> kind of slowly you're catching up, though. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. But anyhow, um, no, I'm doing fine. I'm living with my sister and brother-in-law, which is very nice. They moved into my house in Berkeley four years ago, and mm. we're making common cause. I love living with them and having family here, and um, so that's really good. And I have been working and writing and teaching and <laughs> trying to slow down and um, <laughs> not really successful. Eating, and I have my beloved children and grandchildren far, far away. One family is in Texas, and the other is in Virginia. Mm. So that's that's painful that they're so far away, but wonderful yeah. that they exist. Yeah. Well, do you see them sometimes? Yeah, I do. I, we visit back and forth um, since now that we can do that with almost two years not seeing six-year-olds and seven-year-olds and ten-year-olds is pretty hard because they're so different in a couple of years. But uh -huh. now I can, yeah. My son Clay was flying to Minneapolis and back to see his daughter during the uh, last two years. Uh-huh. Uh, couldn't you fly? Uh, yes, that's what I've been doing. I've been flying. Uh huh. But I have been flying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I I'm see. I'm going to fly here. I'm going, to, but but for a while I wasn't flying. You know, when things were 
when there weren't any airplanes, I wasn't flying. Oh yeah, I forget because yeah. I don't yeah. I don't live there. Yeah, it was really bad for a while. You couldn't go anywhere. So anyway. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, you know, here in Bali, the uh, it was definitely that way. Uh, 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 I mean. Uh, two years ago, it took four months for Katrinka to get back. She intended to be away for six weeks. And, oh, gosh. Uh, no, it was fine. She was with her son and family, and I just get, yeah, yeah. I, I get more work done when she's not here. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, well. uh, uh, you know, people who live in Australia were having a That's really right. hard time. They couldn't. They, they couldn't, couldn't do anything. They yeah, couldn't go the back. The borders were sealed, right? Yeah. No, no going in and no going out. Yeah, yeah, and and we can hear airplanes uh, sometimes when they're uh, yeah. when everything's you know normal. I remember that too. And we didn't hear. It was really nice how quiet it was, and no cars out, and no. No smog in the air, and all the birds were singing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, your um, your uh, book, uh, alive is it alive till I'm dead? Alive until you're dead. Yeah. Oh yeah, alive until you're dead. Um, I'm really enjoying it. Tell me how how long have you been working on it? Why don't you talk about it a little bit? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I was, I've been interested in death for a while now, and was thinking of writing about it. And then I wrote, I, I gave some talks and things um, that sort of turned into essays. So I had um, before the pandemic, I had a few essays that I completed or a couple I'd published. Anyway, then I, um, and I got a call, an unexpected invitation from Shambhala. Did I have a manuscript that they would, that I would like to show them, which I didn't right at that moment, but I, um, or did I have a book I was thinking of that I'd like to show them? So I, I all of a sudden did. And I said, well, yes, I'd like to do a book about, of essays about more about, about mortality and about getting really old. Um, so anyway, and they were very encouraging. And I, um, so that's how the book ha kind of got mm. happened. And I, um, I got a contract and I was working and the, the pandemic was a very good time, as you just said, but when, well, when Katrinka wasn't there, but I didn't have a Katrinka to not to be distracting me anyway, but I was just sitting at home and taking walks and things. It was a good time to work. And I, so I, I pretty much finished the book. I did finish the book during the pandemic. And um, anyway, it's really, uh, I'm really interested in how the fact of being mortal changes our experience of being alive. And, and the book is sometimes being sort of, marketed a little bit like oh here's my second book on aging after this is getting old which came out 10 years ago or more uh -huh. um, but, but I'm, not, I'm not thinking of it I mean I'm a lot now I feel like I know a lot better than I did then what aging is all about but um, and it's 
and that's very related, of course, to being mortal. But but I'm thinking of the book not as here we go again about oh you can buck up and be old and be cheerful it's okay. Um, it's more I really want it to be about how knowing that we're going to die really changes the quality of life and and a lot of that comes from from my. Zen practice, I guess. I mean, my interest in it, maybe. But I was already interested in it, I think. But, you know, impermanence is one of the main things happening, as Buddha told us many times. So, um, yep. <laughs> I, I just, it's really it's really helpful. I mean, imagine if we didn't die. How horrible would that be? I mean, what would happen with your children, your grandchildren would just finally end up being some more old people crowding the planet with you or something. It would just be really <laughs> unpleasant. So I, I think we need to be, we need to remember to be um, grateful for our own impermanence that makes everything so beautiful and precious. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so, but it's, I mean, it is a very heavy subject, and that m- m- several of the essays are actually about the deaths of various people yeah. um, in my life yeah. and being with them as they died. And I, I think that I mean, I'm not writing about death the way a lot of people are doing really well now and helpfully, like Frank Ostaseski and people who are really talking about how do you be with somebody who's dying and how do you help people accept their deaths, but this is more a little more abstract or not abstract but more philosophical of how what did I, what did i learn and experience from and when i was with my mother when she died and when i was with my close friend friedel when she died i i just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. realized yeah i mean one realizes that it's kind of the same you're going through the same gate as when you were born, in a way, and, and mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. uh, make mm-hmm. love seem like the one thing that really counts when when you're in the presence of death. I just feel as though mm-hmm. it really reminds me of how love's really what's important, and that I'm since I'm not dying right now, I'm still here, and my dear one just left. I better. <coughs> kind of for that person's sake almost or out of loyalty to that person yeah. I can go on be a loving person and while I'm still here your friend Frida that was really um, gee that was unfortunate I mean like our arm was numb for a while and that was that was the beginning of the end and it yeah, seemed, yeah that's right wow um, yeah and she's lucky you were there, too. Well, I mean, probably the same thing would have happened if I wasn't there. She was the one who drove herself to the emergency and everything. So I was just kind of supporting her and keeping her company. Well, but, that's why she was lucky. That's why, And, and uh, other friends, you know. Yeah, 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 she had very dear friends who loved her. And, and I also was, I noticed how, you know, Accepting that somebody's going to die, like if you have a very dear friend who's got terminal cancer or something, and you know that person's going to die, and you're very grief-stricken about it, and but you you know that they're going to die, that's really hard. And then th- what I went through with her, though, was a whole 
different thing, which was I realized that she might die, but she might not. Right. She had a good, good chance of it and that she had to make this decision about whether or not to have this surgery. And, and so that's another way that death sort of presents itself. Like, well, how are you going to, uh, how are you going to relate to this possibility? I mean, it, it's not just a possibility. We know for certain we're going to die, but yeah. not right now, maybe. <laughs> and, and do you have to have this surgery or not? And then go, people go into very risky surgeries knowing that they might die. That's another, I don't know, that's another relationship with death that I hadn't really thought about. It was just the, when you're yeah. taking a risk, you know? I always think in terms of uh, uh, odds, statistics. Yeah, the odds, exactly. It, so um, we're always on the edge of death. And, uh, uh, you know, Dogen said, um, there's no power on earth that can assure you won't be dead in the next minute. Um, however, I, I think that we do have powers to stop us from uh, dying prematurely and, and so uh -huh. forth. Um, yeah. And, uh, you mean like taking good care of ourselves and stuff yes, like that? Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah. All, all, all sorts of things. Um, yeah, yeah. Changing our habits and whatever. I'm dealing yeah. with the, uh, uh, a friend right now uh, who's, um, he's, he's dying of cancer and his wife and daughter don't know it yet. And, you know, oh, I, I'm helping him figure out uh, where to go and what to do here. Uh, oh, my God. And, and we're, we're, we're not positive. Uh, but, uh, I mean, he hadn't had a biopsy yet, but uh, he's, put, he's put it off you know, doing anything about this. And uh, wow. so, um, so again, it's odds. Um, I, I, I think, yeah. I think it, it looks like he's not going to live much longer. He's, he's, uh, but we're going to know pretty soon. Um, is he going to have the biopsy? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. The problem is Eid al-Fitri, uh, the Muslim holiday, um, uh, uh, closed the labs for for elective surgery oh. <laughs> for ten, oh. ten days. Uh, oh, and uh, yeah, the, 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 uh, there's a lot of Muslims in Bali, and a lot of the skilled uh, work is done. Uh, yeah, by uh, 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 you know by people from Java. So um, uh -huh. anyway. Yeah, I'm uh, dealing with that with him, and I was with his wife and daughter uh, at her birthday party, and, you know, Rini said, uh -huh. oh, Philip couldn't come today. He wasn't feeling well. Mm. Uh -huh. So yeah. I wow. couldn't say anything. How old is yeah, how old is the daughter? Seven. Oh, gosh, that's so painful. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. That's a strange one to know something that, the wife doesn't know. It must feel weird. Well, yeah, I know that's that's uh, anyway, that's his trip. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying it's his yeah. That's that's not good. But I don't. I, I, I didn't say anything. That's you know, he's stubborn. It would, wouldn't matter what yeah. I said. Well, no, of course he wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Well, do you, uh, is there, would you like to read something from your book? I mean, to me, uh, uh, one thing about the book that uh, is maybe the most important thing is it's, it's, it's good reading. Um, and, you know, uh, it, it doesn't depress me at all. I enjoy it. Um, oh, good. I'm glad. Well, I'd read it. I could read a little something. Let's see. Um, well, since we're on the topic of death, the, the last chapter is called Meeting the Final Deadline. And I'm talking about how I, I get into this deadline mode and I have these to-do lists that I have to do. <laughs> that I think check everything off before the deadline and then how this final deadline is truly the deadline and I have things I think I should do before I die. Um, not like a bucket list at all, but, but like um, obligations and uh, really they're sort of, yeah. Well, anyway, maybe, maybe I'll just read um, or uh, whatever strikes okay. your fancy. Yeah, okay, here's a little bit. I'll, I'll read for a little bit. Um, and this is the beginning of that chapter, meeting the final deadline. We humans could be the only species who are lucky enough to know we are going to die. I say lucky because this knowledge makes life shine. A sign I made hangs over my desk. Don't think for a moment you're not going to die. Does this seem strange to you? Every time I happen to notice it, I wake up for a minute. I remember not only my approaching death, but the happy corollary. I'm not dead yet. I'm alive. I used to be afraid of death. Now, not so much. It's partly a side effect of getting old. Old people in general are, by their own reports, less afraid of death than young people. We have less to lose, and some of us are getting tired. As our aches and pains get worse, we may even look to death as a safe form of pain management. At 16, I was old enough to drive. As a septuagenarian, I'm old enough to die. I don't want to die right now, but it wouldn't be a tragedy if I did. I've had a long turn on the swing. A lot of people I know have already done it. And even though I don't exactly expect to see them again, I'll be expressing my solidarity with them when I go. If you can do it, Mary, Friedel, Molly, I can do it too. Dying is becoming a companionable thing to do. Um, let's see. At this writing, I'm 78, five years older than my father was when he died of prostate cancer. You'd think it would be impossible to be older than your own father. <laughs> my, mother died, my mother died in her 80s, so I have a few years before I catch up with her. Even mm. though I'm healthy now, I am going to die, and it could be sooner rather than later, from an accident or from COVID-19. My fears now are not about what will happen to me after I die, but about the difficulties on this side of death. My mother used to say, the young fear death, the old fear dying. Um, mm. Skipping a little bit here. Mm. Uh, oh, well, I'm afraid of dying in a lot of physical pain or lingering on barely alive, hooked up to tubes in an ICU. I've done my best to address these things in my advanced directive. Yes to making me comfortable. No to the tubes for life support. I'll get through it somehow. This is truly a case of I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. 
Apparently, all human beings know how to die. I find it reassuring that everybody who's gone before me has managed it, and I trust that I'll be able to do it too. Mm. Anne Aiken was a 20th century Zen practitioner and the wife of the Zen teacher Robert Aiken. She was a student of Master Yamada Cohen. One day he asked her, what do you think of death? She replied, why, it's like when a bus stops before you. You get on and go. I want to be like her. I want to accept my death before I die. Well, some part of that. I could read a part that has a kind of a little story in it. Or what do you think? Should I read a little bit more? Oh, you're just, you're, you can just do whatever I'm, your heart desires. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> um, Okay, well, um, maybe I'll just say something that I get at in here somewhere or other, but but that I'm struck by the fact that this, this to-do list thing has kind of two parts to it. And one part is um, the sort of practical things of, you know, drawing up the right papers and everything, which I've done that. But then, and then there's the sorting of objects and getting rid of possessions and not wanting to leave my children with a big mess to figure out what to do with things and stuff. There's that part of getting ready. But the other part that's more important, uh, maybe, well, more important to me, maybe not to them, my children, but is the part of really um, coming to see that, everything's fine that to let go of my regrets and I have some sort of bad regrets and to let go of some sadnesses and to let go, to just accept that my life has been exactly the right life, that it's been fine. It's been Mm. okay. It's complete. You know, I I think that's a very um, good thing to do. I hopeful. I hope I can really, complete that process in my mind a little bit more than I have. I'm, I made, I've made great strides, but mm. and I mm. feel myself um, doing that more and more. Um, mm. But I think that's very important. Mm. And, uh, letting go so, of regrets. That's, that's a good go one. Of regrets. That's a yeah, good one. Letting go of regrets is really important. Yeah. Everybody has um, them. And uh, I, I think of that sometimes. Do you? Yeah. 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 Some people, I have a couple of friends who say, oh, I don't regret anything. And I mean, I don't say to them, oh, well, if I'd done the things you do, I would have some regrets. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But I mean, um, I think be- being able to not regret anything is a, is a great skill, actually. And it's a kind of Buddhist skill, even though they're not Buddhists. But um, yeah, I think it's, What's the point? I mean, my God, what feeling sorry for things and wanting to make amends or even feeling some remorse. Those are different things, but regret, like, oh God, I blew it. I blew it. Why did I do that? I wish I could do it over again. Uh 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 So destructive and unhelpful. Yeah. 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 Well, that's the nature of, of, um, a lot of our problems is uh, unnecessary worrying, regret, um, yeah, yeah, just creating problems where there are none. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. You know, uh, what one thing uh, I I didn't uh, realize uh, was uh, like you you'd been in Mississippi and uh, yeah, I was in six, nuclear movement. I was in Mississippi in '64 too. Uh, oh, I think we we somehow uncovered that in the past. <laughs> right, oh. right, and I didn't know that. Uh, oh, well, where were you? Uh, well, I, I was in uh, in Jackson and and in uh, uh-huh. the uh, I, I was there before the long hot summer. Uh, Are you where? And I, uh-huh. you know, I was. But I don't. I don't want to get into that. Uh, no. Uh, because yeah. I'd start talking about it. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was important. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> indeed. Um, yeah. And. Um, um uh you, so you know i i find that is there anything in, in that uh where, where you talk about uh where you've been involved in activism uh, yeah well there is a chapter about about that called um sentient beings are numberless i vow to say right um which is where i'm trying to talk about what what I think old people can do as old people, not, or you know, what what difference does it make to be an act? I mean, if you're an activist, is your activism different or not? And and a lot of people, I think it is different, and I think um, I think it's really important for. I think it's great to stay concerned um, about the sufferings of the greater world, and and to try to contribute but I also think it's kind of okay for people to pull back a little bit and just say well I you know I've done a lot I I think I need to rest now or something uh-huh. I, I yeah give that. but I, I, I but I and I also think that one of the important things really important things for older people to do is get out of the way of young people and step aside and listen, really listen to young people. And because we can learn so much when I think about, you know, how smart we all thought we were in the sixties and the old people were such duds and they weren't paying attention and we knew where it was at. And now, I mean, young people aren't acting. I I'm surprised how respectful I feel like young people are to older people these days, or at least to me, but, um, do you find that? I mean, do you find that young people are are well? I'm around not, Indonesian young people, and, yeah, and they're, very sure they're very respectful uh, yeah. uh, of their elders, especially the Muslims. Yeah. My gosh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I love uh, I love meeting uh, people, introducing me to their kids, and their kids taking my hand and putting it to their forehead, and uh, oh, nice. Uh, and just and also here, adolescents are respectful. Uh, uh, it's not like being in America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but even in America or even in the United States, I think people are young people are more respectful to their elders than than me, I and my compatriots were to our elders when I was. A teenager. I don't know. Maybe not. But oh, well, that's um, good to hear. That's well, yeah. That's good to hear. Actually, yeah. I've I I've never experienced anything uh, 
anything awful from yeah, yeah. young people. Um, but um, and I think elders have yeah. to be respectful of their youngers, really. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, they need our support because it's such a scary world, and um, it's really pretty terrifying. And I think that the more we can encourage them and then we maybe mentor when that's appropriate or pass on whatever skills we may have gleaned along the way or um, offer, I mean, do like go to demonstrations or write letters. I do all of that stuff, but I, I really also am trying to learn and trying to um, be ready to change my thinking actually, because I, uh, you know, there's talk about, I mean, with white supremacy and much greater understanding about the legacy of slavery and racism and stuff is continuing to grow. I think it's really important to listen and learn and and find out what is my part in this. If there's a part, what it is it? And so um, I'm I'm trying as an elder to I'm kind of excited about the idea of learning from young people to think a little bit differently about how to uh, participate or how to think about what's going on in the world, mm-hmm. how to frame it. Mm-hmm. And maybe things don't go in a linear progression the way I used to think they do. Or maybe there's more uh, things kind of spurred up here and there more anarchistically, or I don't know what, but, um, I want to be open to change, and yeah, and I'm curious. Well, you're really in Berkeley, uh, yeah, which is very different from being in a lot of places uh, yeah, in America. Um, uh, yeah, wow, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, true. I I I'm, have to be remember that, but I also I, I used to. I get annoyed when people say, oh, you don't even live in the real world. And then I just think, well, wait a minute. This is real. This is a part of the, this is just as real as your world. You know, it's all part of the real world. But right. It's a very small sampling of the real world. I admit that. You know, uh, yeah. S- Maya, Susan Winder, who does tea yes. ceremony at Green Gulch, her, yeah. her yeah. parents yeah. were, were uh, uh, very disturbed. They wanted her to be like a, a liberal lawyer, and uh, yeah. we're very disturbed that she was at Tassahara, and her mother said to me, well, uh-huh. you know, I want her to live in the real world. And I said, well, yeah. she could die here. Uh, that's pretty real. Uh-huh. <laughs> I said, you can't get more real than it is here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said, this yeah. won't be that forever, is, yeah. don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, so- but I, I think that um, I think there can be really good dialogue among generations, actually, um, around activism. And uh, to, I, I try not to get too stratified with just doing things with my old friends, you know. But um, and I'm well. This is kind of an admission that it's in the book, but. I am kind of exploring the fact that one of my ancestors was an enslaver, as I've learned to say, and 
and had enslaved people who um, were, and this is in Kentucky, and there are a bunch of letters from ancestors of mine about, uh, that touch on, on slavery and on, between father and son, there's some letters. Really? About how, yes. Wow. Uh, they, their letters are now in the Princeton Library. That's a long story about the letters. They used to be in the attic of my grandmother's house. And then my mother gave them to Princeton. They're pretty interesting correspondence between um, these people about other things besides slavery. Um, but I, and a long time ago, I was interested in them and I got, I made copies of all the letters and the, and the manuscripts and transcribed, typed them all out. And I really them work out to try and make a book of them. And then I, kind of got that was a long time ago and I wasn't even focusing on slavery at that time I was focusing on this correspondence about that my great 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 grandfather I forget how many greats but in 1800 he was born in 1800 and in 1818 he set off on horseback from uh, Lexington Kentucky to go to college at Princeton College and he was there for four years before he came home again because it was a long journey it was a couple of weeks journey to get home again and there's a correspondence between him and his father, who was a large landowner. He had been a surveyor and an explorer and sort of pioneer into Kentucky. So anyway, that correspondence is very interesting about um, education and his father telling him, well, don't, don't be reading novels. You should be hanging out with the French boys and learning to speak French. And he wanted him to be a statesman, I think. And, oh. And so... It goes, and he said, "Go when you're on your vacation in the spring. Be sure to go visit James Madison in Boston. I'm sure you will find him an honorable gentleman." And oh goodness! Idea. <laughs> so wow. Um, very, uh, you know, very entitled attitude towards getting this education. But, but then the son came home and. He didn't want to go be a statesman. He wanted to be a minister. He got religion, and he was very religious, and his father was very disappointed in him being so religious. And mm. then he ended up having a farm, and, and he had some enslaved people. And so um, there was some correspondence about what, how much meat should you give them and how you should train get certain people to learn how to make shoes and I don't know that when I read read these letters, I went back and looked at the correspondence again recently and sort of pulled out the letters that have something to do with slavery and and now I really want to pursue that more and try to understand it more and I don't know exactly where it's going to lead me, but it's kind of blood curdling and it's amazing and it's I, I don't know what there's ways that maybe I can participate in some larger conversation about this that could be helpful or not. Mm, I don't know. Mm. Uh, well, that's really something. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, that's really interesting. Well, um, you know, the, the history of the human race uh, is, is one of uh, uh, genocide. Uh, yes, it does seem to be. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, civilization, society has been getting uh, less and less violent uh, through the centuries. Uh, 
Um, Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, you know, uh, I I don't think we have a a lot to be. I I don't think about being proud of uh, what uh, the uh, uh, what our ancestors have done. But I don't worry about regretting it either. That's just you know the way it is. And uh, Yeah, yeah. To me, the main yeah. thing is we're destroying the biosphere with uh, climate that, change yeah. and the the, uh, the threat of nuclear war uh, is there. Those are the those are the two things. Well, that, I I agree with you. <laughs> I, I'm uh, I'm thinking a lot about that too. I've been yeah I've been thinking about um, well climate change and how to. You know, it's so. I've been studying it and reading books and things, and just the more you read and the more studies come out, the you know, the more dire it looks. And I've been kind of exploring some um, other alternative viewpoints. So I've been reading science fiction novels and looking at some and utop- uh, dystopian novels and huh. and wow, fi- finding ways, other ways that people are thinking about it and finding. People, I mean, just thinking, as as Zen tells us, uh, not knowing is really good. It's most intimate, but not knowing, we don't know what's going to happen, and we can't say it's just hopeless. The jig is up. Let's give up. Or we can't say that because we don't know that, and and we can continue to be open and do whatever we can, and remember that unexpected strange things happen. I mean, an asteroid comes down from the sky and destroys many of the species alive on Earth or whatever. Um, And maybe some good things could happen. Some good surprise could happen. Maybe our consciousness could explode in a whole different direction. Scientists don't even understand what our consciousness is. And some of these things I've been reading are kind of blowing my mind about that. And I'm finding people. Anyway, um. well, um, not only uh, do we not know what's going to happen. I mean, the the odds. I mean, if it, we don't know what's going to happen, but the the odds are really bad. Uh, we do know that. Yeah, they're extremely bad. Uh, so that it's sort of like we're in hospice, but uh, yeah. I've known people that got out of hospice, uh, and. Yeah. Yeah, I've known people that were right on the edge of death and didn't die. Uh, but also, yeah. there's a bigger picture uh, that we do we don't know what the really big picture is. But uh, we've been assured by saints uh, uh, from all different disciplines throughout history that um, uh, you know everything's perfect, and uh, it might. Look really, really bad now, but uh, do your best and um, have faith because there's a bigger yeah. picture that uh, yeah. uh, is going to put things in a totally different light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, do you feel do you feel um, some comfort in that? Oh yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I do too. And like the unit, the vastness of the universe, you know, when I'm just looking at the stars, I can think, well, yeah, well, I'm impermanent. I know that. But what about the human race? It's 
there was a time it wasn't here. There's going to be a time it isn't here. And right. Um, and look at all those galaxies out there. And gosh, my goodness, I'm just a little blink. And so, what a miracle to be here at all. Yeah, it's just what your book is about. It's about death and yeah. the um, you know uh, in Hinduism it really emphasizes the, the birth and death of of worlds and civilizations yeah. and yeah. people and yeah. of course we and you know buddhism uh, also does that that you know we're being and buddha said we're born and die you know 80,000 times in the snap of a finger or something like that uh-huh. right yeah. yeah and um our you know the the planets come and go <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah but i feel like uh there's that we're ultimately uh in good hands we're ultimately everything's all right but that we have to take care of what's the 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 immediate uh situation yeah. is always and and not uh, uh you know not um not say it doesn't matter because it's all empty or something like that. I think that's yeah. a, uh, 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 that is a, uh, what would you call it? Uh, an existential crime. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we have to deal with it. And um, I think about it, these things all the time. And what can I do? Uh, very little, but ex- we can express ourselves anyway. I really like you saying that, um, you know, it's, there's this big picture and, and this, we don't know what's going to happen, but we, and it looks very bad. The picture for, for life on the biosphere looks bad, but, but that's a small thing too. But in the meantime, that we have, that we need to do our best. Or, yeah. We just do our best. There's nothing wrong with, I mean, it feels a lot better to do your best than not to do your best. And then you're kind of embodying love and community and sangha and everything while you're doing your best. So even if everything goes down the tubes, you're, if you're engaged with each other and helping each other and loving each other and being your full self, doing your best, that's a plus, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, Suzuki Roshi, he felt that, uh, he said, there'll always be war, but we should always do whatever we can to stop it or to, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, to stop it from happening. And uh, I don't agree with it that there would always be war. I think the human race would have to evolve uh, beyond war if we're to survive. Yeah. But um, yeah. uh, there'll always be problems. <laughs> we should do yeah. You know, whatever we can to deal yeah. with them. That's um, yeah. So, um, hmm. Well, let me let me ask you. Um, uh, how did you get in involved in the path? I mean, how far back does your uh, uh, your your looking at uh, how far back does it go when you started thinking maybe uh, what's it all about? Or you know. Well, that goes back to childhood for sure. Yeah. But, um, um, yeah, I mean, I just felt like 
my parents were not, they're very kind of anti-clerical and secular humanist types, I suppose. And not, there was no religion. God was not mentioned. We never went to church. It was, they were from Protestant families. Um, but it, my grandparents were, you know, they went to the Presbyterian church twice a year or something like that. But until my, my one grandmother became a Quaker um, when I was already born and I was a child, but she became a very, she was a very spiritual person. And I, mm. um, she's in the book too. She, and she was a sculptor. Yeah, I wanted to know what, what's, what's going on here. I don't get it. What is it? I, I was, I was very um, concerned with how could I be inside my head and not inside somebody else's head? I mean, how could my, how could I be looking out of these eye holes and not somebody else is looking out of their eye holes and not in the same eye holes. I mean, I couldn't get it. Wow, that is interesting. So that was, I mean, as a child, I would really think about that. And then... Wow. um, I... That's unique. uh, I never heard that. That's a great thought. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, I I kind of wanted to really merge with other people in an inappropriate um close way I mean you know my relationships suffered from that of wanting to merge too much but anyway um I so as far as then goes I uh well I used to go to Quaker meeting then for a while as a young adult and um but then when I moved to Berkeley in 1969 from where I, where where do you come from from I I come from Cambridge Massachusetts I grew up and I came from New England to, oh. to Berkeley with my with my hippie husband and um we who was a big activist in in the civil rights movement and we came here and then we split up after we had two kids we split up mm. quickly um to my Sorrow. I didn't want to, but anyway. What year um, did you come to the Bay Area? We came to Berkeley in 1969. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, what about you? 66. Uh-huh. Where did you come from? Texas. No, no, you keep going. I want to hear. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Okay, yeah, sorry. So anyway, um, so then I um, heard Alan Watts on... KPFA, and I heard Ram Das, and I, you know, I was all kind of interested in such things. And then I got a hold of Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, and I would sit in Quaker meeting reading Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, I remember. And then um, some friend of mine said, oh, you know, if you're interested in this stuff, you know, there's this amazing monastery down in the mountains where they make this bread, and you can just go there and visit. And so I went to Tassajara as a guest. When? Um, what year? It probably was, I remember meeting you there one of the first times I went there. I, I think it was in about um, 73 I probably went for the first time. I was but I was it, there um, um, you know, up to 70 through 71 and then I came back in uh, 74 as the head monk. I 
went to Tatahara, I was just there for a couple of days. And I remember, well, the memory I have is that it must have been after 74, because I went there a couple of times, maybe. With, anyway, I went to the swimming pool yeah. at night. I don't know if I walked down there with you or you were down there or what, but I remember having a long conversation with you fairly late at night and you were playing the guitar down by the swimming pool and I was very <laughs> 75 um, okay well I was very interested in our conversation and I thought you were a very interesting person and I thought god I'm amazed that he's allowed to do this he's supposed to be a monk I didn't think he was supposed to do this well of course I guess you weren't supposed to do that that's right <laughs> I, I didn't know anything anyway so but um but the first time I went there, I got Zazen instruction, and I, but I saw these monks paddling, padding about on the paths in their sandals, and I just thought, oh my God, this is so great. I just want to be here. If I didn't have these young kids who were at home with my housemates, if I didn't have little kids, I'd just come here and be a monk. And, um, and then somebody said, well, if you like this, you, you know, there's a Zen center in Berkeley, which I hadn't known, so I came back from Tassajara and went to the Berkeley Zen Center, and that's when I really started practicing. Mm. So, Good place to start, huh? Isn't that, I love yeah. the Berkeley Zen Center. Yeah, I love it, too. I still love it. Yeah. And now I'm, I practice with Norman Fisher and Everyday Zen, and I, that's my sort of main sangha, but it doesn't have a place, and Berkeley Zen Center is also my home sangha, and I practice there too mm -hmm, so. mm -hmm. not having a place the way norman fisher does it i think that's smart boy is that it's very smart he, he really is really smart yeah especially during the pandemic it was smart when all every places everybody was having to close down their zendos for lack of rent and stuff like that i mean there's no overhead for every day then you know right and also, nobody's, there's no staff. Nobody has to fight over who has power over the structure or anything. Yeah. It's really good. Right. Right. Uh, we've got to have... It's also wonderful. Yeah, I think we have to have places, institutions. We do, and but, I'm so grateful to the Berkeley Zen Center. Yeah, but it's, it's good to have other uh, forms. And... Um, yes. Uh, shouldn't be tied down to one form and and you know what norman does is really good and uh and i think uh, what you do is really good is um you have you, you know i i i don't believe you have a zen group but you're a you're a no, to me you're a buddhist teacher and you have ways of communicating with people in another form yeah well thank you i i mean i feel like i'm I don't want to have my own Zen group because I don't want to, I don't feature myself as wanting to be responsible for some other person's spiritual development in any way. I mean, I don't think I'm up, up for that job, but I, I love teaching workshops and leading retreats and giving Dharma talks. And I do that a lot at everyday Zen. And I, and I've led a number of retreats, you know, with other people and mm -hmm. like co-teaching. I just like offering some things that I, and then collaborating with others. But um, the idea of I'm a Zen teacher who's going to teach you what Zen is. I mean, I just don't want to do that. I can't do that. Yeah, I can certainly sympathize with that. 
Um, but I do have other people who are Zen teachers who help me a lot, so it's not, you know. Yeah, that, well, that, they have to do it. To me, it's a sacrifice. Um, yeah. The, uh, people who become, you know, certified Zen teachers ha- have made a sacrifice because it's, it's difficult. Yeah. And it is difficult. It's, it's, it's hard not to be corrupted by uh, authority. Um, yeah. yeah. So... Um, uh, I, I think, you know, all the various roles we have, uh, I think are are. Uh, it's good to have different ones, and I, I don't think we can eliminate some because of some uh, pure way of looking at it. You know, no, I think uh, that we shouldn't right. have institutions and we shouldn't have teachers. Uh, I I don't agree with that. No, we need all of the different roles yeah. to fill the whole picture. Yeah. Well, you don't have your own sangha, do you, or have you had? No, no. Uh, uh, I didn't think so. I, I, I just uh, have all my my friends, my Zen friends, my <laughs> my human friends. Well, you have your you, and you have so much that you've given on the path with your. Cube.com and your books and your writing and your archiving and your scholarship and your networking and your talking to people like me all the time and connecting people. It's just huge contribution. It's so important. Yeah, I like I, I like it. I enjoy it. Yeah. I especially enjoy uh, doing these uh, uh, phone chats with people uh-huh. like you right now. Uh, and... Um, yeah, I think it's uh, you know with the technology of the times, it's um, it's a great thing to do, uh, and and yeah, I think of a lot of it, you know, as we're just sort of saying hello to each other and encouraging each other and um, appreciating each other. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is really great. And Good sharing it, that. sharing it with others yeah. who who might be interested. Uh huh. Yeah. Indeed. So, um, well, is there anything else you'd like to uh, continue with? Like in your path, you've started uh, sitting at the Berkeley uh, uh, Zen Center. I'm, I'm gonna, I want to go through uh, also your professional life. Uh, like I think your first book was uh, Tofu Roshi, That's terrific right. yeah. book, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, if you want to talk about it or you know, um, you, you know, publishing stuff, I'd like to, I'd like to hear, uh, you know, how it all progressed. Oh, yeah, well- well, I guess um, there's not a lot of, of to be told about the practice side of things after after I kind of got on the Zen track. I mean, I I went to Tassajara a couple of times, and that was hugely important for me. Each time I went, it was very important. But um, and I've also done sat with other other teachers. I sat quite a bit with Aiken Roshi, who I loved, and I sat with Joko Beck, who I also really appreciated, mm. and I sat with Maureen, Maureen Stewart. Those people influenced me quite a bit. Mm. 
but um, I think the writing, I mean, as from a child, I wanted to write and, and that was kind of a natural way of wanting to be in the world and express myself and contribute. So um, when I, I was teaching, I, I taught school, I taught, I was in special education for a while, but um, so I was never really a person supporting myself by writing. That's pretty hard to do. But anyway, Tofu Roshi was, uh, I wrote that about, well, I've been practicing Zen. It seemed like a long time to me then, but now it's so long ago. Anyway, uh, that book was, it was odd because I didn't even, I didn't really think I was a particularly funny person or anything. And then I, I mean, I don't think I did. I think I, I didn't think of myself as a humorist or anything, but the book was written with so much affection for Zen. And, and it just, oh, it started out as a little column in a kind of humor. That's newspaper right. Family. It, what, yeah. What, where, where was it? I remember that. Well, there was a little, it was a little newspaper that I did with some friends. We published a sort of family paper called Garlic, the Breath of the People. And it was um, for kids and grown-ups. And, and I started putting a column in there called Dear Tofu Roshi. And I just made up some letters along the way. And then I had some Tofu Roshi columns in Inquiring Minds right, later. Right, right. And, and then I thought, well, maybe I'll put these together in a, to a book. And I actually put some, some of them together and I sent it off to Shambhala. And they liked it. So... Um, so then I, I had to spill it out and write a lot more. But um, what's what's puzzling to me is that I, I sort of feel like I channeled Tofu Roshi when I wrote it because when I look at the book now, I mean I'm I don't mean to be immodest, but I think it's really very funny. But I look at it and I think, God, who thought of that? You know, how, I, I don't, I can't think how I would have thought of that joke. It doesn't. It seems like. Where did that come from? Shusensaki is the name of the guy who keep, takes care of the shoes, shoe rack. And I, I just don't, <laughs> I, I, I feel like somebody else wrote it. That's the but way I, I feel. I'm, I'm reading uh, Thank You and Okay Now into an audio book. Oh, yeah. I love I loved that book. Oh, you're reading it for audio. Right. I'm making it. I made an audio book out of Crooked Cucumber uh, that, that came out last year. Uh, yeah. And, oh, good. uh, I'm I'm reading Thank You and Okay. And actually, I had the same experience with both books. I go, yeah. I can't write like this now. I, can't, I, yeah. I didn't know I could, you know. Uh, I know. And it's that? like another person. It's reading another person. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's very Well, maybe that's how it is. Huh? Maybe that's sort of inherently how it is with writing. I don't know. Maybe... I'm not the person who wrote those books, and you're not the person. Yeah, who well, that's you true. Were. I, I think that's that's uh, one way to look at it, uh, and and that and I think it's true. From, you know, but they are the same person, and we aren't the same person. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, yeah. Well, I, I'm glad that I done the writing that I have done, and. I've done a number of books now, some of them editing and some of them compiling and stuff. But the one book that I, I'm really 
proud of that was such a privilege to work on was the hidden lamp and the stories of the women, Buddhist women of the past. And I, I did it with Florence Kaplow in that book. Mm. Um, I don't feel like I definitely, I didn't write that book. That was, I was helping to, I was midwifing it along with Florence and we, we did a tremendous amount of work on it and we, found the old stories and then we got all the permissions then we got the women to write the commentaries and we edited the commentaries but it was brought it was made by so many different people and it was and it was very very satisfying because and it was Florence's idea she had the idea that it would be really good to bring together some women's koans and um, and we included things that weren't traditionally considered koans but um and then she asked me if I would do it with her. So I'm really grateful to her. But anyway, I guess what I'm saying is that it's it's rewarding when you feel like something that you've worked on is is making a contribution that people find helpful. And um, so I was grateful to be able to be part of that project because it's you know, it's just come out in Italian. It's come out in several different languages. In the Italian one, I, I'm anyway. It's I'm happy that people like it. But wow, that's cool. Because yeah, that's, and I don't feel. I, I mean, I don't think. Oh well, that's. I don't get all boastful when somebody appreciates it because I didn't make it. You know, it's not. I'm just saying, yeah, isn't it? Isn't it great? Isn't it wonderful to have those different voices there and that wonderful commentary? That that read so and so's commentary. It's really great. So anyway, uh huh, uh huh. However, however, we're vehicles for these things. Is is they come out in different ways and and your books are really helpful. And I think I hope to think that Tofu Roshi is helpful too. I think it's yeah. like encouraged people. You know, you don't have to be so serious to practice sin. Well. You mentioned inquiring mind. weren't weren't you involved with the inquiring mind? Well, I wasn't. I, I wasn't officially involved. It was Barbara Gates and Wes Nisker, right. and then towards towards the end of the time, um, the last after I retired from um, the Buddhist Peace Fellowship, where I'd worked for a long time as the editor of Turning Wheel. Yeah, yeah. And then, That's what I'm thinking um, of is Turning Wheel. Yeah. Yeah, Turning Wheel was kind of my baby, which I loved. I loved that job. It was a great job for me because it combined my interest in Buddhism and my interest in activism and my interest in words and writing and stuff. So it was really fun for me to do that, and I I really put my heart into it. And then I retired. Um, I chose to retire when I was 65 because I wanted to do more of my own writing, which I did do then. So, But... Then after I retired, Barbara asked me if I would like to guest edit some issues of Inquiring Mind. So I guest edited several issues with her. And Wes was still um, the other editor, but he was pulling back and wasn't doing very much. Barbara was doing most of the actual editing. And so she she was glad to have, she would get guest editors for different issues and other people did it too. Mm. Mm. Um. But that was fun also. I really I like working with other people and collaborating on book projects and stuff. Wow. With other people. I admire that. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, yeah, it takes a different kind of 
work, but it's, it's, I mean, it's, I admire being independent and being able to do things completely on your own too. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I, uh, I like editors, uh, um, and, uh, you know, people help me with something, but, uh, uh, I, 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 you know, I said I admire that. I meant it. It was, just, you know, it's just not something I've done or a skill I have or anything. So that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's to me that is admirable. <laughs> well, it's fun. I remember how much Jordan Thorne liked you, and yeah. I would hear about you from Jordan. Uh, Jordan and I were very close. I I remember that. I know. Well, Jordan was a great guy, and he was not, I don't know, I, I gave him a hard time, and he gave me a hard time, weirdly. I know he was very, he was very devoted and big-hearted and smart. and um, Yeah. He's a, he was a really good person. I was very sad when he died. I saw him shortly before he died. Did you? I, I talked to him. You know, I've been here nine years. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I talked to him on the phone several times. And, oh, um, yeah. Do you think he was kind of, was? I mean, he didn't want to die at all. No. But do you think he was at all peaceful about it? Oh, well, you know, the, we're we're built to die. We know how to die. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. People, if somebody, die, of course, we don't want to die. And and to different degrees, he died earlier than he wanted. Uh, yeah. And I think it's you know when you're younger, it, it's harder. Uh, but um, yes, I'm I'm confident he he came to terms with it. I think that's what we do. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, well, I'm glad you were. Good friend. Yeah. Yeah. Is uh, there anything you'd like to uh, wrap this up with? I think I just want to say that, again, that I'm um, really grateful for, I'm grateful for the, my meeting Zen practice, and I'm grateful for uh the opportunity to explore what does it mean to be a human being, being alive on this planet, and how can we be more alive and really be, or how can we be really alive while we are alive? That seems yeah. to be an important question. Yeah. So that's what I was really wanting to talk about. But let's, well, we're here now, so let's do it. Let's be alive. Yes, yes, indeed. And um, like you said, uh, well, let's be alive until we're dead. <laughs> yes, let's be alive until we're dead. Yeah. Maybe uh, here's a, a thought I just had, which is that um, one of the chapters is about different uh, practices for contemplating death and some of my favorite ones, like walking in cemeteries or the five remembrances or something. But one of them is um, to write death poems. And I have done that with friends at different times. And, and so I have a little section on writing death poems. And I, I could end by reading you the death poem that I wrote. 
traditionally you're supposed to just keep writing another death poem every year, I guess. But anyway, yeah, I could read you Do. my death poem. Okay. Um, once I was inside a star. Now I'm here. I've come quite far. My name is Sue, but not for long. Soon I'll join the massive throng of those who've, who've given up their names, like Mary, Friedel, Ned, and James. My bag of skin will let me out, and I'll no longer think about the list of things I have to do. You'll be me, and I'll be you. When I hand in my dinner pail, my love will carry on full sail. Uh, that's great. Thank you very much. Thank you very well, you're much. You're welcome. And thanks for talking to me. I really enjoyed talking well, to you. Well, I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for all you've done, for your contributions, for continuing to do so, for being so very much alive. And um, <laughs> uh, Well, thank you too, David. And, and I look forward to... Uh, Finishing your your book and uh, to, to the to the to the next books that come yeah. out from you and well that, we'll see about that. Anyway, <laughs> thanks, David. Okay, thanks a lot, okay. Susan. Yeah. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. So thanks a lot, Sue Moon. That was great. Sue Moon sounds sort of like Blue Moon. Sue Moon, I saw you standing alone. Um, all right. <laughs> hey, that would be cool. You know, if you were doing a, a an event for her, you, you could work up a song at Sue Moon. Uh, all right, Sue, I'm going to keep that in mind. Uh, so this has been a Cuke Audio Podcast. I'm D.C. Puba of Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives. Coming to you from Sleepy Senor with Doggy Bandita, Feline Cuchita, and dear, lovely Katrinka. And we're wishing you and yours and all of us a grand awakening. <laughs>